Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by three esteemed members of the media. That means this on the beat, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. First of all, support Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. If you're watching this live, Get on your computer and order something from Johnny T-Shirt. If you're a premium subscriber, you got that 10% off. They're great friends of us. They're great friends of you. We need to support them locally owned and operated. Baseball gear, too. And baseball team looked pretty good this weekend against James Madison. I think Gregory Hall actually covered that for Inside Carolina. So good to support them in all sports, um, especially baseball, football, and basketball. But they've got everything you need. Also, rate us, review us, and subscribe. If you subscribe on YouTube, you know we're doing this right now, so I'm glad you're here. If you don't, subscribe so you can catch us next time live. Boys, it's on the beat. Gregory Hall, Luke Buxton, and Greg Barnes. Greg, I'm going to come to you first because you had an article today on Inside Carolina's message boards um, or Inside Carolina, and it's much discussion on the message boards about Carolina looking to schedule another basketball game in addition to the Marquette game Wednesday night, schedule something next week. Uh, what's the status there and what's the limit for Roy Williams? Well, we've touched on this before, but the important thing for everybody to understand is that the NCAA allowed teams to schedule 27 games this year. If you play it in a multi-team event like the Maui, which North Carolina did. Uh, because North Carolina has had Let's see. They've had five ACC games postponed, and only one has been rescheduled. So just from that total, that gets you down to 23. And, of course, North Carolina played Northeastern last week. They will play Marquette on Wednesday. So now you're back up to 25 if everything holds. Um, I don't know that it's feasible for North Carolina to get all 27 games in, but it sounds like because North Carolina plays Syracuse on Monday night, at the Carrier Dome, and then doesn't play again until the, the senior night game against Duke on Saturday the 6th, there's an opportunity there to maybe schedule a game next Wednesday or Thursday. Now, one of the games that was postponed uh, was the game against Clemson, and just so happens that Clemson has their open date next week. I think they play Miami this weekend, and they don't have a midweek game, and then they, they play that final Saturday like everybody else does. Uh, so they would seem to be the the smart pick there. Um, as Rui Williams said, I guess it was today, he's going to make scheduling decisions that are best for his team. And I think every coach is taking that approach. I don't know exactly how some of these other coaches have, have been envisioning things, but right now Clemson's finishing the season with Wake Forest, Miami, and Pittsburgh. Uh, so that's pretty favorable to the Tigers. And it may be a situation where uh, – you know, Brunel may not want an extra game. I don't know exactly how those conversations take place or how feasible that is. But uh, regardless, if it's not Clemson, Roy Williams is still looking to add another team next week. People uh, bring up a valid point, which is, okay, North Carolina plays Florida State, which is probably the best team in the ACC on Saturday. Then they go on the road to play Syracuse, and Syracuse is playing better. They're pretty solid. That's always a tough place to play up there. And then you have senior night against Duke next Saturday. So if you add a game Wednesday or Thursday, now you're talking about four games in eight days the week before the ACC tournament, which could be four games in four days if you make a good run. So that's a lot of basketball, um, but Roy's not concerned about that. He, he thinks these kids are, are capable of playing a lot of basketball. And if it ends up being that much, then so be it. But that's kind of where we stand right now. 
you know, that you play a bunch of games in that scenario. That's for teams that don't have a lot of depth. That's one thing Carolina's done. That's one thing Roy Williams has insisted doing this year is playing a lot of guys. So that would certainly benefit them. Before I bring Luke and Gregory in, Greg, what is the – I mean, it seems to me like the ACC has done Carolina no favors. Is that just some blue-tinted glasses there? I mean, it seems like it would be Clemson, you're playing Carolina, period. There's no debate. You're open. Carolina needs that game back. Um, looking at the ACC standings, and my math is horrific. Clemson's thirteen and five overall, um, but they're seven and five in conference, so they're short eight games there. That this would help get them towards, and um, they're not good away. It looks like Duke, who's destroying Syracuse as we speak, has got that'll be fifteen ACC games for Duke after tonight. I, I mean. Where is the ACC's role in this, Greg, as far as, I don't want to say forcing, but, yeah, forcing a team to come to Chapel Hill and play a game? Yeah, I think we're looking at this from a North Carolina perspective for obvious reasons. Um, but it, when you have a head coach like Roy Williams who's coming out saying, we want to play as many games as we can play. Um, and there's not many coaches saying that. Now, does that mean that some of these other teams are, are chicken? I can see how fans would say that, but we don't know exactly what their their motives are. Um, if they have injury situations and, you know, for whatever reason, they don't want to uh, add a game kind of last minute to what they've already got planned out. I don't know enough about some of these teams' uh, inner dynamics to kind of have a, a true understanding there. The other component of it, too, is we've hit on this a lot before. In order for this sports season to take place in the ACC – Right. There were athletic departments in the ACC that were not keen on playing football. And so in order for everybody to get on board, the ACC had to be like, look, you know, we, we're going to put protocols in place. We're going to try to hit these benchmarks. But at the end of the day, if kids don't want to play, we are not going to penalize them. And if programs have concerns within their community or they have concerns with how things are playing out, we're going to leave it up to them to make some of these decisions. Um, and we saw that in football. We've seen that in basketball. Uh, how does that factor in when we're talking about scheduling? I don't know, but we go back to the football scenario, which I think was the first one and the, the prominent one in Clemson and Florida state, uh, Florida state didn't want to play because Clemson, a Clemson player, or at least somebody on the, on the team that, that went down to Tallahassee had COVID. And so Clemson was like, you know what? We'll hang around for a couple of days and we'll go through another batch of tests just so we can get this game in. We'll play on Monday night. And Florida State was like, nope, we're not doing it. And immediately you know, everybody in the, in the Clemson realm said, ah, oh, they're just backing out. They're scared of a butt whooping, which I mean, maybe that was the case. Um, so then you get into kind of the, the, the ethical nature of things. And you've got to know a lot about what's going on in the program to start making some charges like that. It's easy for fans to do on message boards. I get it. Uh, but we just don't know kind of what goes into Clemson making a decision about playing next week. They may ultimately decide to. Uh, but they may say, you know what, maybe that doesn't work. Or maybe the ACC says, you know what, we don't want to do that for this reason or that reason. Uh, and we just don't have enough information at this point in time to be able to kind of quantify that other than we know that Roy Williams wants to play. So anybody that, that doesn't go to lengths that he does, all of a sudden is going to have a little bit of a negative tint to, to their actions. It is interesting, um, and you make a lot of good points there. I would wager that 99.99% of the players themselves will play anytime you want to strap them up. Anytime you want to play, uh, I think they'd be ready to go. It's the adults in the room that make those other kinds of decisions. That's why playing so many games in – in so few days is not that big a deal, I don't think. Gregory Hall, you you covered Roy Williams's radio show tonight. Any discussion of that, um, and any or any extra thoughts on Carolina getting this, whether it's an ACC game or non-ACC game, in between Syracuse and Duke? Um, they really only focused on the scheduling of um, the Marquette game on Wednesday. Uh, There's a little talk about Northeastern and how they came down and how Roy, they were looking for a game, uh, Northeastern was, and it just so happened to work out. And crazy enough, Northeastern's, Northeastern's back on a COVID pause now. 
So it's a good thing that they got that game, man. I saw that today. Um, that was right in the nick of time. And Marquette was looking for a game because to your point about the ACC not helping its schools sometimes, or at least maybe they're helping, but they're not mandating. This is you're doing this, you're doing this, so on. Other conferences aren't doing it either. Um, I know the CAA, the Colonial Athletic Association is not. I was talking to somebody in College of Charleston um, and they were like, yeah, they're not really helping us at all. Um, and then you've got guys at the top of the league that don't want to schedule games and whatnot. But as far as uh, Roy talking about scheduling a game, he didn't mention anything. Um, one thing of note that he mentioned on the radio show is just Puff Johnson. Uh, he's been dealing with the toe, a jam toe. And he's had a boot on and he finally took that off in practice today and got some shots up. Um, but other than that, it was a pretty, pretty standard, pretty basic show. Uh, some talk about Caleb Love finally getting into the groove a little bit. Um, he had four turnovers against Louisville, but like three of those were literally in a 30 second span. Um, but Roy mentioned something that I thought was kind of cool as far as Caleb against Northeastern. He had nine assists. And in the post game, Roy talked about how he could have had more because some of those passes, uh, Armando missed a shot or Dayron got fouled, and that doesn't count as an assist. Well, in the charting that Roy and the coaches do after the fact, they do like they don't do assist turnover ratio; they do assist error because you can make a mistake that doesn't count as a turnover, but to them it counts as an error. But also with their assists. Um, they'll do it if Caleb throws it in to Dayron, who then passes it to Garrison, like a hockey assist. That's what they count as. And Caleb ended up with 19 and a half assists in the coaching staff's book. And Roy says that's the most in a game that he's seen uh, in a few years. Um, so that might be something to for the development of uh, Caleb Love. Obviously, it was against Northeastern. It wasn't against... Florida State, but still, we've kind of seen Caleb slowly do the right thing more and more. Yeah, that goes way back to Dean Smith, too. I mean, that's Roy took that from Dean is, is if I make a good pass and you blow the layup or you get fouled, I get credit for an assist. And uh, like you mentioned, the past, the past that leads to the pass that creates the bucket is the old hockey assist, like you mentioned, Luke. Uh, let's let's talk about Caleb Love a little bit and. He had four turnovers the other night, and you're right. I think it was Carlick Jones that he, they went back and forth stealing it from each other. Um, the one thing, and this is what Sherelle and Sean and Joey Powell mentioned on the Coast to Coast, is it's a great learning experience for Caleb just in those 30 seconds because Jones stole the ball from him the exact same way all t each time. I mean, he fed off his offhand and then took it when he went that way. Um, what have you seen in the last couple of weeks, Luke, that leads you to believe that Caleb Love may be finally figuring this out, even with four assists or, excuse me, four turnovers the other night in a blowout win? Yeah, and it was a high possession game. So, and as Gregory mentioned, it was a lot of them were in the span of those 30 seconds. So, I don't really look at that as much. I mean, he's coming off those uh, that nine assist game, his career high, and he just looks like a more confident point guard, one that you may have seen coming out of Missouri in high school. He's dunking the ball with force. He's getting his teammates involved. I think the hockey assist is a undervalued asset um, in his game. I think oftentimes you'll get a score sheet and they don't count that. But when you watch the game, you have a sense that he's doing a lot better and in involving his teammates. I think they kind of show up on the UNC uh, stat counting system. So I think that's a really interesting point. I, I see him and he's kind of understanding his role. His shot's starting to fall. He's not forcing things. At the beginning of the year, he was so concentrated on making sure he could hit that shot that he seemed like he was overthinking it and not letting, you know, his game come to him. He was kind of trying to force himself onto the game that he knew he was capable of playing. But as we continue to see him through the year, we've seen him kind of understand this UNC offense a lot better. And that has a lot of kind of chain reaction down the line effects. He's not forcing a shot. He's making them more. He's, he's, he's passing the ball. He's running the offense. He's become a better defender. He's forcing turnovers. And I think he's really becoming the point guard that Roy Williams thought he was getting when he when he signed the five star. So it's exciting to see him kind of uh, progress through the season and become that that stable point guard that UNC really needs to have success. And he struggled against Virginia, and I think that's kind of the reason why the heels struggled as well. I think a lot of the play runs through kind of his 
calming. He doesn't even need to score the score the ball, but the way he runs the offense, I think UNC really feeds off of that. Yeah, you mentioned the sort of chain reaction thing, and Greg, I'm gonna bring you back in here. It is amazing to me how one guy, that guy being Kerwin Walton, can create such a chain reaction for this team to look uh, completely different on the offensive end. I, I mean, yes, Caleb Love's gotten better. Yes, the guys are getting uh, better at it. But I, I think the number one factor in this offensive surge that Carolina's had, not counting Virginia, is Kerwin Walton's ability to hit shots. Oh, no doubt. I mean, just early in the year, what, what did teams do? I mean, they, they knew North Carolina's best options were in the post. So a lot of teams just really lagged off the three-point line. It made it very difficult for UNC uh, to get good shots in the post. And then you have the issue with there not being really good entry passes. And, you know, when entry passes are an issue and you don't have anybody who can shoot from the outside, defensive scheme becomes pretty easy. And I mean, that was the thing I was looking for early in that game against Louisville. It was really two things, right? One is how, Louis, how is Louisville going to look? And we, we learned <laughs> very quickly that they, they didn't have any legs. But what happened in early going? North Carolina started hitting shots from the outside. Kerwin did that. I mean, he had, what, four threes in the first 10 minutes or so. And when you're stretching a defense like that, and then you can pound the ball inside, I mean, Carolina's going to be tough to beat like that. Now, talk about Caleb. Uh, I, think, I think there's also uh, doing more with less. And I think that's what we've seen with Caleb. Um, I think he, he really does understand, as Luke said, he understands what he's supposed to do. And that's not forced the issue. Way too many times early in the year, he was just taking crazy shots. He was not working within the offense. He was trying to do too much on his own. And I think this team figured out, you know, a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was the Pittsburgh game, that the best chance to win games is to consistently get the ball inside. And that's about the same time Kerwin started coming on. And then when you're able to knock down some outside shots, that stresses the defense. And it becomes pretty easy at that point in time. And then if you can capitalize with some forcing some turnovers, like Roy likes to do, being aggressive, especially with his half-court traps, which have been very successful this year, to get out in transition, get some early, some easy buckets there. I mean, that's what North Carolina has to do. And I think that's what you've seen. You know, Caleb, just looking at his, his points here, yeah, I mean, he had the big game against Duke, but it's not like he's been putting up a ton of points in recent games. And I think that's more of, you know, I mean, early in the year, how about this? He goes 18 attempts against Stanford, 13 against Texas, 13 against Iowa, 14 against Kentucky, 14 against State, uh, 15 against State. And then you start looking and go, okay, well, 10, 10, 16 against Duke because he had 25, 9, 8. I'm not sure what he had against Louisville. Um, so he's he's – making better decisions and that's allowing North Carolina to execute where they do uh, the best. And that's getting the ball down low. And that's allowing guys like Corwin Walton to stretch the defense with the three. Yeah. The, the Kerwin discussion, I think it, uh, it's definitely symbiotic uh, the way they work, uh, work together. Cause Caleb without Kerwin is like you mentioned, Greg was just not good early. And, of course, the bigs struggled at times. Luke Buxton, looking down the roster, I mean, tell me why. And and I'm cheating here a little bit. So later in the show, we're going to do a buy or sell um, segment after the break, but I'm going to steal it. So I apologize, Gregory. You had it all planned out. Luke, tell me why Kerwin Walton's not the best player, offensive player on this team. Tell you I why he's not. It's like, Bay, it's like the Bay class in high school where they give you the yeah. side you don't agree with and have to formulate an opinion. And, and and we can debate it because there's a strong argument that he is. Uh, there's also a strong argument that another freshman is. But you give me your points. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to it's hard to ignore Dayron's performance against Louisville when when you saw you know, his ceiling, which was, I, I think, the best game that he's played this year, just being an absolute force on the glass, putbacks. He dunks the ball better than any other Carolina big, just with absolute force, tenacity. Um, no one's stopping him when, when he's going up. Uh, and it was fun to see him really, you know, go like grow into his body and realize kind of how dominant he can be down low. 
you know, I, I still think that I still think Kerwin is is the guy. I mean, it seems like he's one of those players where you play and pick up, and every time you pass it to him, it's like this guy's hitting it. He's gonna make me look like a all star point guard because every time I give him the ball, I'm getting an assist. Kind of seems like what Kerwin has, and he looks like he has an ability to now start to create his own shot. He's putting it on the floor a little bit more. He's attacking the attacking the rim and and kind of spots when he sees them. So it's still hard for me to kind of pivot away that Kerwin is, is not the, the best offensive player when, when he's hidden. But I do think Dayron, when he can understand how dominant he can be, and he's still a little unpolished. He doesn't have kind of that primary and secondary move down, but he's such a force. He's such a body inside and presence inside that it's, it's really tough to ignore him on, on the uh, offensive side. Gregory, Dayron or Kerwin? Most important. Well, no. Yeah, let's do most important because I think most valuable and most important or best might be a little different here. Well, go ahead. Most important and most valuable is different. I, yeah, I don't know. It, I, yeah, I, think, I think most important, I think Kerwin without question. Sure. We can get Greg Barnes in here on it a little bit. Share your thoughts, though, because I think – I think – no, the difference lies when who's the best and who's the most valuable. I yeah, that is Gregory, I won most important my senior year high school goal, high school uh, tennis team and MVP my junior year. So maybe I can give you some. Wait, you said tennis? Tennis, yes. All right, well, I'm going to have to do a deep dive into the Greg Barnes tennis career. You got my summer project. My summer project has now been <laughs> confirmed. I'll talk to Ben about it later. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna need names and numbers of teammates, coaches. You know the whole. Yeah, yeah, I'm confused. Yeah, I did you misspell golf when you said? Team? <laughs> I, I know. I, I, I thought he stuttered. <laughs> um, back on track. Um, Kerwin's most important because of your guys's point of Roy Williams and the team needing to play inside out. Dayron is most valuable because he makes that happen. You can't play inside out without having a good big man or a dominant big man, and you can't play inside out without having a shooter. So I think Kerwin doesn't allow them to play inside out in the sense of he's not the base is kind of where I'm going with that. If that makes sense, obviously Dayron's not the only one, but I mean, just Dayron's ability. I think he leads the nation in offensive rebounding percentage. Um, let me confirm that. As Look I it up. up. I'm, I'm pulling it up. I'm pulling it up. Uh, yeah. Dayron Sharp is number one in the nation in offensive rebound percentage. That is valuable. Um, Kerwin Walton is UNC's best offensive player based on offensive rating. Um, he's got the highest offensive rating and he's 56th in the country on Ken Palm in offensive rating. So yeah, apples Greg, and oranges. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that seems low. Ken Palm's rating. I was going to say his numbers are like video games. Student 47% from three and 49.6% from the field. Who's doing it better? Fifty-five other guys, apparently. I guess. Greg Barnes, who who's who's the guy for this North Carolina on the offensive end? This North Carolina team on the offensive end. I don't know. Um, I mean, I think I think you can make the case for a lot of these a lot of these guys. I mean, I think kind of where you're getting with that, Tommy, is you know, with twenty seconds to play, who do you want taking the last shot? And I, I think that's a different question than who's MVP. Hmm. I would I would take anybody with free throw shooting over seventy five percent. I want them taking the last shot. Well, that's, a, that's like one person. <laughs> you said you said you want over seventy five percent. All right, you've got Andrew Playtech, R.J. Davis, <laughs> Caleb Love, and Kerwin, Kerwin Walton, Walker Miller, and Puff Johnson. Um, I mean, you got if 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 Carolina's down one. And a ball goes to Dayron Sharp. If an opposing team doesn't foul him, they've lost their mind. Anyway, Greg, I I, I jumped around. Yeah, but I, I I don't know that I have anything to offer besides what's already been said. But I mean, I, I think Kerwin but validate us, Greg. Yeah, Barnes. Kerwin and his ability to hit open shots it's critically important. I think he's changed kind of the scope of this offense. Um, I think the fact that Dayron is finally coming around. I mean, let's be honest. He still does his the, the bulk of his work on the offensive glass, which is critically important in what Roy Williams wants to do. But he's not a guy that you're going to pound the ball down low and, and get him to make a, a tough shot 
against stout competition. Um, I, I still think, I mean, I think you'd have to make the case for Garrison or Armando in that role. But then you get in, like you said, the free throw shooting situation. You're like, well, are you going to try to pound the ball down low when you, you know there's a 50% chance or close to it that they're not going <laughs> to capitalize on, on both free throw attempts? So I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. I'm really stumped on that one because I don't know who the best player on this team is. Um, I think what Garrison brings in terms of leadership, well, it hasn't been shown in terms of production. What he brings in terms of leadership is still uh, incredibly important. Caleb coming along, uh, I think that's what you have to have at the point guard spot. Kerwin's the outside shooter. Dayron's kind of a bull in a china shop down low. Uh, Armando has the best skill set in the post when he's when he's actually engaged, which is a little bit hit or miss with him. Um, so yeah, it's 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 tough, and that can be good and bad. I mean, it's tough because teams can't really guard, know what to guard for, and know what to prepare for. But it's also bad because you you don't know exactly what you can go to for surefire buckets late in games. So I mean, funny. There's like a build a big almost with UNC. It's Garrison's yeah. leadership and outside shot. It's Armando's post moves. It's uh, it's uh, Dayron Sharp's kind of tenacity, size, and then ability to you know get the glass, get the ball off the glass, and put it back up. And then it's like Walker Kessler's, you know, length and, and hustle and effort and hustle. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like if you could only just take all of the different <laughs> skills and put it into one player, you and City have the best big man in the country. You might have Tyler Hansbrough. Yeah. Yeah. Really. True. No, no lies there. Let me take a short break. Talk about Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com, because we're going to get into the Walker Kessler discussion here after the break. But Johnny T-shirt, sponsor of this podcast, great friends, alumni owned and operated. They're there on Franklin Street. They've been there forever. They were there when I was a freshman in school, and it was long before Gregory Hall was born, probably Luke too, but we're not going to talk about that. They do everything they can to support – Carolina fans and if you're inside Carolina fan you're definitely a fan of Johnny T-shirt johnnytshirt.com Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street what what else do you need your place to go for any Carolina gear all sports related um Luke I'm going to call you out on your slack. You seem older than Gregory. Gregory is like the little brother. Yeah, you here. said that very good. I'm older than Luke. What? I keep I just keep because, barely enough just because around, uh, I have this I have an immaculate clean face doesn't mean first person with uh to we're gonna go the fair game guess gregory and luke's age if you did not know they were yeah that's um, around college age anyway (laughs) let's uh let's uh take another short break letting the national guys pay the bills we'll be right back on the beat podcast live tommy ashley greg barnes gregory hall and luke buxton we'll be right back all right boys we're back it's on the beat live Gregory Hall, Luke Buxton, the two youngsters, and Greg Barnes and myself. Let's uh, let's talk about Walker Kessler. Um, you know, there's something to be said for a guy that gets his hands dirty. And I heard Joey, I think, said he nicknamed him Raspberry um, because he's always getting – we called him strawberries when I was growing up. I'm not sure where Joey got the raspberry thing. But anyway, floor burns. Luke, that guy has – he hasn't played many minutes. He's getting more and more minutes based solely on his effort and his tenacity. And he's shown some flashes of being really good, even as a freshman. Yeah. And it was really fun to hear him speak post game against, I believe Northeastern. Um, he's funny. He's He's got a great personality. He's got some character. I honestly didn't know what to expect. I mean, he had the, he had the fade going on. So I thought there might be something there, but it was great to hear him speak. And I remember one part is Ross asked him a question is like, what's your role on this team? And he said, you know, that's, that's a million dollar question. That's exactly what I'm trying to figure out. I think kind of, as we talked about Caleb earlier in the show, Walker's going through some of those growing pains, you know, and he seems, or at least he believes that he's a shooter. He's got, you know, the, he's the tallest on the team. He's got incredible wingspan and ability to rebound and, you know, Don can get out in transition he hustles. He's a great team player. It looks like doesn't kind of you know forces some shots, but not many. So I think like as as Caleb has learned and it's come with a lot of playing time, and, and Walker hasn't had the same luxury. I think Walker's trying to figure out his role on this team, but also kind of his role in the college game of where he goes on the floor, his spacing, the shots he takes, 
where he's he's able to make the highest impact. And I think like he's you know it's it's not been a trajectory like this. It's kind of been like a you know a stock price. It's going up and down, uh, dips, and then he hits his peaks, and then the trails. And he's trying to basically figure out every game. It's fun to been on the ride of of Walker Kessler and kind of see how his performance has has gone day to day, and it, it seems like how it kind of fluctuates week to week. But overall, the trend line is is definitely going upward. Greg, when I'm looking at the team stats, I see he's only getting seven minutes a game, which uh, I forget that he got none the first half of the season or close to none um, there, but seven minutes overall. Greg, what is his role um, on this team? I mean, is it purely just to give minutes um, to rest the other three or, you know, one of or two of the other three while he's in there? Or does Roy Williams have a specific role that he wants him to accomplish when he's out there? No, I think right now it's just kind of gaining experience and, and trying to come off the bench. Um, you know, the, the whole thing that, that Dean and Roy have always said, you know, when you come off the bench, don't hurt the team. And that's really, I think, his, his role right now is because we've talked so much about how these, these freshmen are already robbed of a lot of the typical offseason workout stuff in the preseason, robbed of exhibitions and close scrimmages and non-conference games. Well, Kessler – uh, as he told us last week, I mean, he was basically in his room for two weeks during the season just because of, you know, COVID protocol, um, the, the issues there. So he was really robbed of two weeks of, of key developmental time for him. And I think that's all you're seeing is that this kid, I mean, he was a five-star kid for a lot of different reasons, but he is finally getting opportunities. Um, we are 12 days away from the end of the regular season. So I don't think there's any expectation that Walker's going to come in and be flourish as this stud big for UNC here in the last month of the season. But he can come in and give you valuable minutes. Um, and if you, we talked early in the year, North Carolina potentially has you know, one of the, the deepest and best front courts in America. Well, that was before you know, Walker wasn't able to kind of get on the court because, because his development was so slow. But now you're getting to a point with the way North Carolina is able to pound the ball down low um, and he can give you valuable minutes now where he's not just out there trying to log minutes. He's actually contributing. Um, I think that's critically important for him, for his future that bodes well for next year. Uh, but I don't think there's a lot of pressure on him. I don't think there's a lot of requests of him right now, other than working within the offense, doing what he's supposed to do on the defensive end, hustling, which he does well, and just trying to help the team a little bit of time that he gets. But the fact that he's played, Tommy, just looking here, I mean, he was in January. It was five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, eight minutes in a loss at Florida State. Three minutes, six minutes, two, three, three, 12, 12. And then uh, my Louisville game keeps going away. However many minutes he played against Louisville. So clearly an uptick. Um, but, but again, I, I think it's too late in the season to expect too much from him. He plays – he's in a good position, I think, because he, he plays in a situation where – you're right. His goal is not to hurt the team, but he can play without um, worrying about too many repercussions um, mm-hmm. because of the guys that are in front of him. Whereas Caleb Love and R.J. Davis, um, to a certain extent, their play mattered, whether Carolina was winning or losing. And that stress was on them, especially early. And that's why I think you've seen, you know, R.J. started out better than Caleb and they've kind of flip-flopped a little bit, but they're still becoming more solid. Let's uh, do your buy it and buy or sell, uh, Gregory. And for the record, um, the refreshment is Jefferson Ocean. If you listened to this podcast last week, you know that I got some of that for Valentine's Day, so I'm partaking in it. So Greg Barnes approves of that, I think. Yep. Uh, UNC's performance against Louisville. Gregory, is that a one-off? Yes, just because – I mean, it was great. It was a great performance. And if you read Greg's uh, story afterwards, he kind of explained why. Because they played well, obviously. I mean, that was obvious, right? And they took it. But second, they took advantage of a depleted Louisville team that credit to them for even playing. Not only, I mean, the first game in 19 days, I couldn't even imagine doing that. Um, but I just think, I think the one thing to take away from it, though, so I, I'm I'm selling it for the record. I'm not buying their performance as far as the 
little segment we got going here. But, and Roy mentioned it today on the radio show, is they probably had more, I have no numbers or stats to back this up, but it appeared that they had more made baskets in the first five seconds of shot clock than they've had in the last two years. I mean, and a lot of that at the end were those fast break alley-oops and the team was just having fun and Louisville, it just looked like they had given up. But the one play that stands out to me, uh, Louisville made a fast break basket because there were a few defensive breakdowns where UNC did not get back. Um, But Leakey took the ball right up the left side, hit a bounce pass, um, and then I think there was one more assist in there. And UNC scored in three seconds. Literally, there was 28 on the shot clock after that, uh, after that Louisville basket. So I think there's small things that you can take away. But I think as a whole, I don't think you're going to see any more. You're not going to see any more 45-point beatdowns. And I don't think you're going to see too many 20-point beatdowns either unless they have a good performance against Marquette. So, You know, the 45-point wins kind of like uh... – when I play golf, I mean, I'm not putting over an eight on the scorecard. So, uh, you know, but like Dewey said, um, <laughs> they beat Louisville by 20, even if Louisville plays good and the normal Louisville team there, I think the way they played, maybe. Uh, Luke, buy or sell the Louisville performance? Uh, yeah, I'm selling. I mean, any game where you have Andrew Playtech throwing fast break, you know, alley-oops to Walker Kessler and he's throwing it down, you're probably not going to get that from – from week to week it was definitely you know I don't want to say it's an anomaly but it's definitely not the Carolina team that I think we're going to see moving forward I I think we're going to see a little bit of a digression it was a great game I think that the COVID pause matters a lot more than a lot of people think 19 days also like when you get get this virus it's tough on the lungs and I don't know a lot of kind of it looked like it was a high possession game and it looked like Louisville wasn't able to run with the heels um, I think it's it bodes well for UNC in the future, but I don't think it's any great sign to, to be banking on. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that I saw in the game, and Gregory, you mentioned it, and to a certain extent you mentioned it, Luke, is Carolina playing Carolina basketball, getting out, running. Um, you know, there's been so many times this year where they just come down the court on offense and stagnate and get stagnant and just sit around. And they did not do that against Louisville. Now, granted, um, you know, we can talk about the COVID pause and yes, it affected Louisville, but Michigan had a COVID pause, beat Ohio state, Florida state had a COVID pause and almost got charged with assault for what they did to NC state. Uh, I mean, sort of affects teams differently. Um, but like Roy said, Carolina caught them on a, on a good night for both teams or bad night for them. Good night for Carolina. Greg, this Marquette game coming up, admittedly, I don't know a ton about Marquette, but what um, what can Carolina do on Wednesday night that has you uh, buying that this team could make some sort of tournament run, whether it's ACC tournament or NCAA tournament? Well, I think it's just building off what they've done in the last couple of weeks. I think that's kind of the key thing. And I do think it's important to, to note that there's a, there's a clear distinction here. Um, and I, I think – just reading the message boards, I think we've tried to make it a black and white situation about the Louisville game. It's like either North Carolina is all of a sudden world beaters because they won by 45 against a, you know, normally a pretty good Louisville team. And then on the other side, acknowledging that Louisville had rubbery legs. I mean, after 10 minutes, Louisville was gassed. Does that mean Carolina didn't play good? No, it does not. I, I don't know that Carolina wins by 20, but the fact that Carolina was hitting outside shots and having success getting the ball down low early, there was no reason to think that was going to change. So I I don't think there's any question Carolina would have won the game. They would not have won it by 45, like in a normal setting. Um, But to your point, Tommy, Carolina was doing things that they needed to do. They were playing with energy. They were not stagnated uh, offensively. They were playing with energy defensively. And we've seen that in recent weeks. Um, not every game, but in a lot of these games. And they played good against Northeastern. They played good against Duke. Um, so you want to continue to build on that. You, you want to continue to let these guys get confidence. That's one of the things about the non-conference games, losing four games there, is like Northeastern. Carolina wins by 20. There was not a lot of pressure. Therefore, they were able to celebrate. They were able to have a good time. That helps chemistry. 
that helps confidence. Um, and then that gives you an edge. And regardless of the competition, those types of games matter. Uh, and so you continue to do that. You know, Marquette is okay. They're not great by any stretch. That should be a, a, a 10 point win for North Carolina at least, but you can continue to build. And that's important because North Carolina has a very tough close of the season. Florida State's going to be a very tough game. I think they're probably the best team in the ACC. Then you got to go on the road at Syracuse. Uh, and that's, that's going to be a tough affair, even though Carolina's done a good job against that zone under Roy. And then I mean, do we have to talk about Duke? I mean, is, uh, is, is Duke is Duke all of a sudden? I'm not going so, to say it, but are they are they trending? In what's the, right the score direction? of that game? It was 21 when I looked just a minute ago, and I tell you what, that's addition by subtraction on the roster. Seems and and I said two weeks ago that they'd make the NCAA tournament. Anything above 500, I think they're going to be playing Carolina last game of the season for that chance to go to the tournament. That's going to be interesting. Looking at Marquette, um, if you look at Marquette's uh, homepage, it's got the article about them playing Carolina with a photo of them playing Creighton in their Carolina blue uniforms. Very interesting. Luke, uh, <laughs> and it threw me off there for a second because I was like, when does Carolina play them? But anyway, I, that's heresy. They beat Creighton once, Luke. They lost to Creighton by three points. Um, they got destroyed by Villanova. I mean, this team's been all over the place. They are 10 and 12. Um, you know, Greg says a 10-point win would be would be a good accomplishment for Carolina. Um, what's to accomplish other than winning? Um, what is to accomplish? And they beat Wisconsin, too, if I'm looking at the schedule correctly. So this Marquette team can play. Um, Carolina fans need to recognize that. Anyway, Marquette and Carolina, what to expect on Wednesday night, Luke? Yeah, you know, obviously Carolina has to win. I think Carolina needs to come out and show similar performances that they've done versus Marquette and Louisville. I don't think a close game is great for the heels in this scenario. I think they need to continue this momentum, continue hitting on shots, playing their game, learning their style, which was, as we saw Louisville, that inside out game, which worked so well. I think UNC needs a big win, continue it in um, to Syracuse and, and um, Florida State and Duke finish out the regular season. Yeah, I was just looking. Marquette seems to be very balanced. Um, They've got three Q1 wins, Tommy, which kind of speaks to your point about Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, they've beaten very good teams. And so that should – Carolina cannot just show up like they do against Northeastern and expect to win by 20. Gregory Hall, last question for the the podcast. Buy and sell. Carolina in the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. Can they get there? Yes, they can. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it. I think if mainly it's just after, it's not just after the Louisville game. Um, I did say that was a one-off, but and I sold that performance. But I really think if this team can learn how to run the floor consistently and do it well without just throwing the ball out of bounds or without one of the most frustrating things to watch is when they're running the fast break and it's a three on two and two guys are literally running side by side. And then it just turns onto a one on three because the two guys take each other out of the play. That's happened. So it's happened so, like way, way too many times. Um, I digress. Basic. They can, they're going to make it to the, they can make it to the sweet 16 because it's not a great year. And it, I think it depends on their bracket. Um, and it depends on their seating. So there's a lot of factors. It's the same. Normally, it's like, okay, UNC's a top three seed. They're going to make it to the Sweet 16 just based on who they're playing. But I saw a joke. It was like UNC and the UNC versus Duke in the eight and nine seed games. That would be interesting. That's, that's not even for the NCAA will that happen. I, could, yeah. I could see like a, a situation where it's a seven – and some weird, but they're not going to put them in the first round. But anyway, so you're buying Sweet I'm, Sixteen. I'm buying. Here. I'm buying UNC to the Sweet Sixteen just because Curran Wallen's on pace to have the best three point shooting performance by a freshman in UNC history, and Dayron Sharp is leading the nation in offensive rebounding percentage, and their defense has looked a lot better 
in the last few weeks. And I think, and they have the bodies, they have the depth to play, to go through the ACC tournament and go through the NCAA tournament, barring COVID, of course, um, that would derail everything. But I think they have the tools. And I think if they can get some confidence, like you guys were talking about, I think UNC can make it to the Sweet 16. Well, yeah, Luke. You following Gregory or you're uh bye, bye, bye. I think this team's gonna figure it out. Royal Williams teams always play well in March. I don't know what the odds are, but I'd love to take some odds on a UNC Elite Eight run. Get a little spicy, throw some money down. Be a, I don't know. I I honestly think this team will click in March and figure it out. I think they have the right pieces, they have the talent, they have the makings of a Carolina team, and if they can figure everything out and that's the way they're trending i think it's interesting i think they're a team you don't want to face in march could be like a seven seed that the two seed you are praying you don't get so i'm not saying it's going to be you know i'm not calling that that they're sweet 16 locks but i think it's a really interesting proposition to see where they land in the tournament if they make the tournament and then how far they go yeah, it's amazing to me. I show my age. Once upon a time, we didn't have this discussion. I mean, because it was Sweet 16 every year there for right until Donya yeah. Abrams. Uh, do y'all know who Donya Abrams is? No. Does that name ring a bell? Yeah, I do because I'm because I'm old, older than Gregory. <laughs> Greg Greg Barnes buying or selling? Is this team on an upward trend? I mean, I think they've barring a complete collapse. Uh, they're in the NCAA tournament. Is this yep. team built to uh, make some noise here at the end of the year? I have a sneaking suspicion that this is going to be like the 2014-15 uh, team. And that if you remember that team with, with Marcus Page, they got a lot better by the end of the year. But because they had played themselves into such a hole – they ended up having to play Wisconsin, which was one of the two best teams in the uh, one of the two or three best teams in the NCAA tournament that year, early in the in the tournament. And Marcus said after that game, we just didn't do enough to get a high enough seed to get a, to get further along. And I think that's going to be the situation for this team. I think they're in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they would really have to tank at this point not to get in. Uh, but when we start talking about seed lines. You don't want to be eight or nine for obvious reasons. But if you keep winning, maybe you can get up to a seven. If you can get up to a six, you know, Florida State is right now, Lenardi's got them as a, as a three seed. But then you're also talking about that Houston's there, which Houston's good, Oklahoma. You can maybe win some of those games if you're a six seed playing against a three in the second round. But if you're seven, I mean, you're talking about right now the two seeds are Villanova, Iowa, Alabama, and Illinois. Uh, North Carolina is going to be underdogs against any of those teams. And I think that's just too much to ask. I think it is going to be very similar to that, that year in 15 where North Carolina is playing its best ball late, but because they, they didn't get enough big wins throughout the course of the season, their seed is going to hurt them to an extent where they're not going to be able to make a deep run. It's going to matter. Seedings uh, will matter more for this Carolina team than they really ever have. Um, you're right. But you don't want to be eight and nine. No matter what, you want to avoid that. And last question for all of you, and I offered up 100 bucks if somebody would give me Gonzaga and Baylor and you could have the field. Who wants in on that? Gregory, you want some of that action? Who, wait, who you get? You get Gonzaga and Baylor? Yep. No. And Baylor? I get a Gazaga and that's, Baylor. That's absurd. That's absurd. You're stealing my money. You want you want my social security number too? Like yes, absolutely. I've already got it. Like Gonzaga <laughs> and Baylor. You know the stat I told you last week or two weeks ago, where like UNC was closer to like the the number forty five team was closer to the ten team than the ten team was closer to the to Baylor. You still it's got to play the game. It's expanded. Oh, it's expanded. No, they're so good. They're so Luke, good. So nobody wants that action, Luke. You don't want that so you, action. What's the deal? You get Gonzaga and Baylor, and who do I get? The field. Everyone Everybody else. else. You, oh, get, <laughs> you get all 66 other teams. Bucks? Yeah, I'll take that. I'll all take right. that. Can anybody right. guess UNC's championship odds right now to win the whole thing, to win the title? 100 to 1. 500 50, to 1. 50 to 1. 50 to 1? 50, 50 to 1 odds. 
So I think uh, yeah. Vegas is buying UNC to the Sweet 16. The Sweet 16 is a big difference from the national championship. I'm 50 to 1 odds to win it all. Mm. Mm, I'd rather put up $100 on Gonzaga and Baylor. Mm-mm. Luke, I'm telling you. We're in. Yeah, I how about, how about this, though? I mean, would you put would you put $10 down on Carolina? For Just for the heck of it. No. Win 500 bucks? Final four. Final four line is uh, 11 to 1. I'll do that. Okay. Wow. What's the what? what? What's the I mean, it's, it's 11 four. to 1 to get to the final four. Oh, you're saying, oh, I understand. Two, less, okay. two fewer games you have to win. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's only been that. a few years, and I'm not a betting person. There's only been a few years that I would have bet on Carolina, period. 09 was one of them. Um, but any time else, I'm not sure I would have put money on Carolina, regardless of the odds in any of those other years. Um, I will say, take my uh, take my betting advice with a grain of salt. I looked at the UNC Louisville line and the UVA Duke line. I said, UNC five point favorites, Virginia two point favorites. You're not even reading the what board right. Easy then, play, uh, right? Yeah. And then, nope, nope. I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah, we don't. We're not getting into all that. Well, but uh, I'm so good at. I mean, people know my uh, the Greg Hall jinx on Twitter, right? In 2016, with the bracket fill out, my buddies from high school, we had like. 30 of us and it was winner take all 150 bucks or whatever in 2016 i had unc winning the bracket they did not win that year i had them beating villanova that year i also i had unc beating villanova in 2016 in 2017 i had villanova beating unc so <laughs> you know <laughs> 1993 i picked almost all of the games i had the final i missed like three games the entire tournament the final, I had Carolina 76-70 over Michigan. Wow. And I didn't turn it in myself. I let my roommate turn it in because he interned at WTVD at the time. And he won their pot and didn't give me a dime. Friends forever. Oh, you're drinking uh, Evan Williams right now. Yeah, no, this is uh, better than that. Look, inside Carolina glass, y'all boys should get some of that. <laughs> Tommy, someone asked about the flags you got in the background. That's my daggone people I know. That's uh, Blackbeard stuff. That's the gypsy flag from Todd Snyder. That's another Blackbeard flag. Pirates and gypsies. Pirates and gypsies, man. You make a lot of money talking about that stuff and singing about it. I just miss my calling. It's been on the Beat Podcast. Gregory Hall, Luke Buxton, and Greg Barnes. InsideCarolina.com. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. We've been live. You guys join us again next week. Live at 8 p.m. Call your friends. Tell them to join us. Maybe Gregory will sing some songs for you. Some real boys. Some sea shanties. Those are really po- <laughs> those are really popular right now. We'll talk to y'all boys soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.